Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of NBRI New Business and Retail Insights from the Center for Retailing Studies, Mays Business School, Texas A&M University. I'm your host, Benki Shankar, Director of Research and Coleman Chair Professor of Marketing. It's my pleasure to welcome our guest today, Dr. Bahong San, the Dean's Distinguished Chair Professor of Marketing and the Associate Dean for Chung Kong Graduate School of Business, CKGSB Americas. Bahong also directs CKGSB's Customer Information Management Center. Prior to joining CKGSB in 2011, Professor Sun was Carnegie Bosch Professor of Marketing at the Tepper School of Business at Carnegie Mellon University. Bahong's research focuses on rational and strategic consumer choices and dynamic structural models. She studies dynamic and interactive marketing mix and customer information management. Most recently, she has modeled dynamic and interdependent consumer decision in e-commerce and social media platforms. Professor Sun is the recipient of numerous awards for research and teaching, including the 2008 finalist for John D.C. Little Best Paper Award, uh, the MBA George Leland Bach Teaching Award, and the CART Research Frontier Award for Innovative Research at Carnegie Mellon University. Uh, Bahong also serves on the editorial boards of Journal of Marketing Research, Marketing Science, and Journal of Marketing. She has extensive consulting experience, including working with Bosch, Boy Scouts, Highmark Insurance, John Deere, and IBM. Bahong's research has been cited in The Economist, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine, and Bloomberg, among others. Uh, Bahong has a PhD in economics from the University of Southern California, Los Angeles. Welcome, Bahong, uh, for this conversation. How have you been the last several months? Uh, thank you, Venki. I'm always happy to see you, and uh, I've been knowing for a long time. I know, and uh, um, I know your center. So I remember ten years ago. So in, you you invited us to campus to talk about the mobile marketing. So and right. then that was the time that brings me to brought me to new technology. So when I was still doing like a scanner panel data research. So after I came back from your conference, I upgraded my phone, upgraded my research. <laughs> yeah. That's great to hear, yeah. And I'm glad that you still fondly remember that. I have described you uh, in the terms that I've known you, but how would you describe yourself maybe in five words or less? Um, <laughs> uh, that's a difficult one, yeah. Whatever I say about myself, my two teenager boys will say, no, you are not. <laughs> Yeah, but, but you are entitled to say how you perceive yourself or what are the key attributes that describe you? Yeah, so one thing I wanted to like maintain or manage my mentality is more, um, maybe one word is like a tourist, tourists. So because uh, tourists are very adventurous, so they want to see new places, they wander into different places, uh, and they're very curious, they want to find out what's going on, uh, and they want to learn. Um, they want to meet with new people. And I think most importantly, tourists are very happy. <laughs> so That's we are great to know. And, and most importantly, from a business standpoint, tourists have deep pockets that uh, all the uh, businesses would love to have tourists come again and again. But that's a very interesting way that you describe yourself. And I love the adje adjectives that you use, adventurous, curious, and happy. All of them really describe you. But that's good to hear. And um, Da Hong, you 
did a, did your PhD from uh, in economics, and then you ventured into marketing. So you're truly a, truly a tourist to marketing, and no longer <laughs> now. But uh, how would you describe your research journey, and what are some of the uh, interesting turns, uh, interesting places or destinations that you visited in your uh, taking your tourist analogy a little bit farther in your research? Right. Yeah. So. Uh, I was a trend as, as an economist, so along my journey, and uh, I think I made several turns. Uh, the first turn happens when I went to Berkeley. Uh, I was visiting a postdoc position where I learned about uh, marketing, all the literature, all those, the way, the problem formulation, it's a huge literature. So with the help with, of my colleagues, like Tuling, Russ, so I think I learned a lot. That, prepared me for the marketing field. And my second term is after I joined Carnegie Mellon as assistant professor. So over there, um, I joined a group of people who are true believers of uh, rational expectation. So I learned the tools of structural modeling, which allows me to look deep into consumer insights. So I learned how to model consumers learning, uh, variety seeking, habit formation, addiction, uh, maybe self-control. Uh, or maybe signaling, all those kind of hyperbolic discounting, all those things are very, very interesting to me. So they all use the tool of structural modeling. So that allows me to understand consumer's decision process. So that's the second term. And the third term I think happens to most people is after tenure. So after tenure, we have a little bit of freedom. <laughs> and then I, many of my colleagues from other fields, uh, from OR, OM, computer science, psychology, and they lead me into another world to make my research more relevant. So they take me to the visits to companies like PNC, like IBM, and we listen to their problems. So, and then how to frame the problem, the problem kind of a solving, and how do we integrate our tools, our literature, and uh, how to be useful to industries. Uh, and uh, that requires not only problem-solving approach, but also interdisciplinary uh, research mentality. So, so that really opens my eye, open my eye, open my eyes. So basically how to be, make our research not only fundamental, but also kind of uh, useful. And the fourth term uh, turns uh, when I joined CKG, CKGSB. Uh, because of family reason, I have to, uh, yeah, put the family together. So I'm stationed in New York, which gives me opportunity by CKGSP to travel around the world. So I have the opportunity to visit many countries so I can see a little bit more across the country, across the continents, and uh, also across industries. Uh, because uh, in the US, uh, at a business school, uh, good business schools, you see there are lots of established companies, you see big box companies, their research problem. But then with the technology, and you have a Silicon Valley, you have a emerging from India, China, so many startups, they're solving different problems. So that lead me to look at these startups, investors, and what they are thinking about, and how do they affect this incumbent, this big company, big brands. So now I think I'm at a relatively new uh, kind of a stage of research. After venture through all those uh, like a problem solving approach or uh, startups and uh, incumbent, I'm back to uh, my training as an economist. So, so much machine learning tools has been developed, algorithms. How do we bring together those fundamental econ approach, marketing insights, and the new tools uh, that data scientists developed? 
So I'm wow, back. That, <laughs> that's an interesting journey, and you've literally traveled a lot in your research <laughs> and visited different places, just like a tourist will do, but in your research uh, arenas. But you mentioned that right now you're in a position, you like traveling and so on. And I have to bring this out now, unfortunately, due to COVID-19, travel has been curtailed. So how are you managing, especially you have, I understand, although you're based in New York, uh, you are, have a lot of ties back to uh, Chung Kong, which is based in Beijing, right? Uh, so tell us something about how you're managing it. It's all virtual or are you... Uh, um, having to do a little bit of travel. Yeah, uh, before this COVID-19, I basically spent 10 months here and two months back in Beijing, uh, Shanghai, mm -hmm. to teach, to pick up what's going on in Asia. And then I come back here because the mission here is to uh, deliver the knowledge to the American executives uh, about right. China. So during the COVID-19, I'm basically stationed here and uh, teaching uh, over the internet. Okay, good. Uh, I assume as much. Since, since you mentioned that your most recent research is taking yourself closer to machine learning and integration with economics, and particularly you having done quite a bit of recent work on mobile, social uh, commerce, and so on, tell us something about what is the primary difference that you see between China and the U.S. in terms of the uh, use of the media and the consumer behavior and how do you see that devolving over a period of time? Right, yeah. So um, I travel back and forth and I see lots of things. I try to compare the digital landscape and the innovation properties of these two countries. Uh, I think China is very innovative, but most of the, uh, of the innovation is at the consumer level application, business application. application. Uh, Chinese companies are very good at uh, using technology to engage consumers and to sell more product because China is still a manufacturing industry. Uh, a country. And uh, another innovative thing that is unique uh, to China is that the ecosystem built by Alibaba and Tencent is fantastic. So it's right. a combination of Facebook, Amazon, or maybe this Instagram, or a combination of many things in the US. So the ecosystem is really worth studying. So if from China, I see it's a big, a huge experimentation field. I see the speed, I see the scale. So that is right. why many of our colleagues are getting data from China uh, to study. Right. So, and since you mentioned uh, the ecosystem and you mentioned uh, you know, Alibaba and Tencent, but I like to call this BATS, uh, which is Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, and Sina, which are the major uh, digital players and digital network uh, owners. Uh, you also have the emergence of TikTok, uh, which uh, in China is a Douyin, right? Douyin. Uh, and uh, how do you see that uh, kind of short video format uh, developing? And how do Chinese consumers' behavior changing as a result of the emergence of uh, Douyin? Yeah, so I think in China, uh, there are several things that uh, is making China very innovative and right. us to study. Uh, so number one is what you mentioned, is this uh, social commerce. Right. So Chinese company wants to sell and social commerce like in Douyin. So it's not only a short video, but behind the short video, this one person can sell 
balance of R&B within one video session and uh, to engage consumers and to sell. And uh, what is even more than that is that he himself become a brand. So right. become a C2B brand. And he has a big co uh, company, big warehouse and a big logistic team to sell directly to the consumers. So this right. like a live uh, stream commerce and D2C and many, many things related to social commerce is budding in China. So that is a uh, very advanced. Yeah, speaking of that, we've heard of influencer marketing here where there's a lot of celebrity influencers, but they go differently, you know, on YouTube video, they have their own categories. So there are some beauty uh, influencers, there are some influencers for tech products, but uh, what seems to be emerging in China is, as you said, consumer brands. So consumers themselves become brands and whatever they sell out of their garage or basement or warehouse, they become more popular thanks to this uh, uh, innovation. Do you see that this is a sustainable uh, innovation or is it just a fad? Because at, at the end of the day, ultimately, consumers also want to buy something that is more quality, valuable, long-term. Uh, so do you think this is a transitional phase or is it here to stay? I think with the support of the consumer behavior in China, because consumer, consumers are very social in China, especially with the support of business model innovation, innovation in logistics is going to be a long-term thing. It's going to disrupt as a traditional kind of a way of selling. So even in China, because of this, uh, many big brands like Western brands, like uh, they also hop on this platform. Those right key opinion leaders and then this is how I sell so yeah it's an efficient way of selling yeah okay so you think that this is going to be stay for a longer time and you mentioned live streaming which is again a very unique thing about China that uh, is not very as popular and as wide scale uh, prevalent uh, in other countries you think live streaming is the future of uh, e-commerce or do you think live streaming is just one small part of it? Yeah, thank you. That's a, I think that's a very good question. Um, I think that it's good. I believe it's going to stay because okay. we believe in customer decision journey, right? So right. traditional marketing is good at selling, but this uh, kind of a curated commerce help other consumers to do research. So to sail through all those uh, enormous amount of information, somebody helped me to curate the products. And I trust you, this is just like a TV kind of a session, right? So somebody right. helped me to do this, endorse the product. So I'm willing to buy, also it's entertaining. So right. I, uh, especially if they carry high quality product, big brand names, I think it's a good mistake. Right, and speaking of live streaming, we can't help not talk about the singles day that's coming up in uh, November 11th which is a huge event, right, in China. And uh, last year, Alibaba sold about $38 billion worth of uh, merchandise. And uh, JD.com was not very far behind, maybe 20 plus billion dollars. Uh, and every year I notice it keeps going up and up. So, and mo most of the sales also coming through live streaming during those days. So do you think this is the future of, uh, e-commerce again, not just live streaming, but big blockbuster days like Singles Day. And here we have an equivalent of uh, Black Friday uh, uh, and the Cyber Monday, which is now 
getting elongated into two months period. But uh, do you think that is something that's unique about China that's going to just catch on in other countries and also grow further in China? So, Venki, um, yeah, I thought about this issue. I think I'm more pro like a selling approach or innovation business model innovation that help brands to develop higher quality products and sell for value, uh, not sell because of the promotion. Okay. So, yeah, basically, this is a 11, like a double 11 kind of an event in China. Uh, if right. it serves the purpose to let people be aware of new brands, and that's good. But if just to for sale, to increase the traffic on the platform, it may not best serve the interests of the brands. So I think we, as a marketing marketer, we know that, so the, how does that help? What helps the platform may not really help the brand. So how to build a brand name, have more higher profit and to do more product innovation. It's still, still the long-term uh, kind of a survival. All right. So you view this more as a day that, creates an excitement and get more people to come and visit the platform and announce new products. But however, it's not going to be a regular event that sells products most of the time. Ultimately, it goes back to product innovation, product value, and how you serve the customer needs. Going back to marketing's basics, right? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, I think the event will go on just like uh, Thanksgiving sales. But uh, yeah, right. better things to survive. Right. And let's relate that to some of your research. And you mentioned that one of the biggest uh, uh, advantages of working in this new ecosystem as a researcher is the access to data, right? So are you able to collect a lot of data of new uh, business models, new uh, activities and innovations that you can study this uh, and come up with better insights using either just a straightforward machine learning, a predictive modeling approach, or combining it with economics. Do you think there's more and more scope for doing that going forward? Uh, yes, thank you. Absolutely. So there are several things I was interested in, uh, in this uh, trying to, from an economist or marketing researcher's perspective, to look at this new machine learning data scientist, the tools. So I tried to, there are several things I was, I was interested in, I'm interested in now. The first one is that in e economics, we assume utility functions are in independent. <laughs> we yeah. make all choices, right? But when yeah. social media comes, everybody's choices are, I'm influencing you, you influence me. So how yeah. do we economic choice model take that into account? So uh, a few years ago, uh, I did, uh, I tried to tackle this problem using traditional way, structural model. We use dynamic game. So basically, if consumers, if the users on platform, they compete for their reputation, and then in that way, we can link, make their utility function interdependent. Uh, and recently, I totally like ignore choice models. I use machine learning approach, uh, which is network embedding. So basically treat each consumer as a data point. <laughs> so we use the data from Pinterest. So we have a consumer as one of the node and uh, the image, they pinned as a, another node and the description words, they use a, a, another node. And the link uh, between each node will be their decisions, right? If I pin this number right. And then by analyzing all those, how those three type of nodes and, uh, align with each other, we try to infer consumers' preference, their needs, their wants, so, and then draw some conclusions. So that's one thing I was trying to 
uh, look at from choice model versus machine learning, try to find a common ground. The second thing uh, which I've been thinking, trying to learn is that time series. So state dependence is a huge marketing literature, right? right we have yeah. information pricing and everything. But machine learning, a lot of product recommendations, the one that works very well has been uh, popular is like collaborative. Uh, collaborative, yeah, collaborative filtering. Across, yeah. across yeah. consumer. Kind of right, right. So basically I was trying to uh, learn machine learning approach, basically try to look at if I have one person's history, how do we predict the next move or the next choice? So one data we got was uh, from 27 consumer movement data. So basically, mm -hmm. if you are traveling everywhere, so basically mm -hmm. the mobile app reviews you like every moment your trajectory. So basically, how do we use machine learning approach? Try to predict your context, your kind of a feeling and what you're looking for. And then we can do more contextual marketing, better prediction. So that's the data uh, we, uh, we got. And, and what insights, what are some of the key results you found in those research? Because as you said, these are two different paradigms in the machine learning. You use all the tools to and the data to predict better, uh, but you may not be able to explain well. You may not be able to interpret very well. Uh, but in economic structural modeling, you're able to do all the story behind it, utility base, and you're able to explain and predict, but you can't handle a lot of data. And the uh, complexity of the uh, structure that you impose may not be feasible to, to put on a huge data set like that and get decent results, right? So how do you reconcile the two? And first of all, start with what are your key findings in some of these uh, research that you've done, and how do you reconcile with the re the insight that we've got from economics-based research? Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> those are two big questions I'm researching, uh, I'm learning uh, the answers on. Um, so one thing we're learning from this, uh, uh, like a trajectory data. So mm. once we have the consumer's trajectory, basically we can study how the stores, neighboring stores, compete with each other. Or maybe right. they're competitive with each other, right? And uh, so we can find that some stores in a shopping mall, and then they will be the anchor store. Consumers go to that shopping mall because that store is there. And then people always travel over there, stop at a store, but they never like buy a lot of things. They stop very uh, briefly, and then they go to another store. So most like uh, show, we shows that from H&M is a big H&M uh, is a big kind of an anchor store. So attract lots of traffic, but people don't spend lots of time over there, and then they move on to other stores in a shopping mall. And then, so it, it, what you're saying is, in a mall like uh, situation, H&M serves as like a uh, the front door or entrance for the customers who just go through it but don't spend a lot of time on it. Right. And then, interestingly, you can, we can also study from each of them, where does he go? Which other okay. store he go? And then you can see which are complementary. So right? what, do you, what do you find? Uh, what are the, some of the paths that you find and, and how do you explain that? Uh, yeah, some of the stores are probably based on demographics, right? So some young girls, they go to other like Gap or they, uh, other things. And uh, so that can explain some, uh, something. Another thing we're working on is that the restaurants. So we're studying something 
because trajectory, you can link with the geographic, uh, geographic uh, graphic information, zip code. You know the demographics. So we are studying their eating habit. So consumers, what type of restaurants attract what type of consumers? And uh, the restaurants could be healthy or fast food, right? Yeah. And then you can see how people travel far, far away. And then what's their uh, consumption pattern? And then we can link that with their visits to the grocery stores. So basically from this, you can piece out the whole picture of their lifestyle. And then find out uh, what kind of lifestyle they're doing. Do they visit like a gym? And then eventually we probably can predict. Like, okay, this is how fascinating. Often they visit hospitals. So right. this this is fascinating because you seem to have access to this kind of data, but let me put this in the COVID situation where people are not uh, able to go out to the retail stores and restaurants remain closed for the most part, uh, or at least limited service, uh, the takeouts and deliveries. Um, how do you think, and now people are spending more time on digital, do you think we can use the similar approach to understand uh, consumers' digital journey as a representation of their lifestyle, and we can piece them together if, if we just do this trajectory analysis in the digital world. Yeah, absolutely, Banky. I think the trajectory on the digital, on our screen, on our keyboard, is very similar to the offline. Uh, the offline information is a little bit richer and has more economics because we have a transaction cost, we have switching costs, right? right and right. of course, competing with each other. So here is only a click away. But both right. trajectory, right, reveals our what we're thinking, what we need, what we need, and how brands can better serve us. Yeah, but the challenge here is that the digital journey is not just one digital device. Consumers are now using a variety of digital devices: the smartwatch, smart right. speaker, and uh, a yeah. tablet, and a laptop, and a mobile phone. All of these are creating a difficulty in tracking, right, for the researchers because you may not have awareness because there's no single ID that I can see in common. So you think this is going to be a challenge for marketers and researchers because uh, marketers will have to make decisions and the limited information that they have. And how, if they do that, how accurate are those? And what are some of the caveats that they should use in using the results uh, for their decision-making. Right, yeah. So, Banky, this goes back to the ecosystem built by Chinese entrepreneurs. Right. That is very innovative. When we talk about ecosystem, it's horizontal mm -hmm. ecosystem, okay? okay? So, Alibaba built a system. They know not only your search, what you bought, but your financial because they have a uh, ad finance. And then they have offline stores. Everything is linked. Basically, in China, Alibaba has built thing that to host, that is going to host your complete customer decision training. So we have lots of researchers using data from Alibaba, but less known is that Tencent is actually even more advanced on the mobile system that really locking consumer decision training from pay, from everything, from uh, because it allows each of the brand to build a mini app. Like a branded app is built upon uh, the, the uh, WeChat. Okay, so nobody has access to that data, but if that data is available, you can see how powerful it is. It's not only the ecosystem of consumer but also how it interacts with the, the brands, each of the brands. The brands- 
Yeah, it's very fascinating. Whereas in China, they have access to this kind of data and they can combine these together. But everywhere else, it's not easy because not one player can have access to this kind of a data. Now, that brings the issue of privacy, right? So do you, do you see, it, it appears as if Chinese consumers are less worried about privacy because they're, they're not very concerned whether their data may be misused, unlike in the Western world. Um, tell us something about some of the uh, uh, differences, maybe in culture, maybe in the system that we need to understand better to make sure that we understand how that ecosystem works in China, but not here. Yeah, I think uh, Chinese consumers uh, have less, much less concern about the privacy. And uh, intuitively speaking, if you ask consumer, even here, if the company use the data in the right way, I think consumers won't be that bothered by less concern, right? And uh, the data on mobile phone is uh, with the consent of this uh, consumers, and then the company will collect the data. Um, so, so basically, uh, in the future, one thing I'm researching on is reinforcement learning. Reinforcement learning is that we recently, this week, we're writing up a paper, it's an analytical piece. We're trying to study, so when it is optimal for the firm to do reinforcement learning, to adopt algorithm-based modernization making. So related to GDPR, uh, GDRP, right? Uh, uh, GDPR, yeah, yeah. yeah. So basically, it's that it is okay for the firm. If I track like one consumer's traffic on my own website, it should be okay. Like the data should belong to both the consumer and the company. So if the company is going to use reinforcement learning, it's algorithm based, I'm going to use consumer's history, what they have been doing on my website. That is relatively uh, legal, right? So basically it's the company's data. And then I can better serve the consumer. Right. So interesting finding is that when the company is in a monopoly situation and this is forward looking, I really want to keep the consumer and then learning become very useful. But it becomes the companies has less incentive to do learning, to explore this uh, data they have is that when consumers are extremely impatient. So you do one thing and then explore a little bit and consumer will switch away to the competitors. And that is going to stop the companies using their data. So basically, under some, we're trying to derive the situations. Under that situation, the company has accumulated a lot of data, but they don't have the incentive to use it. So, okay, yeah. That's a very interesting insight. Uh, let's hope there are some empirical studies to, to test or verify that or validate that. Uh, but that's a good uh, way to look at these issues. Uh, now, we should also talk a little bit about some of the... Uh, issues that uh, some of the uh, Chinese companies now face. Now, we, we know that TikTok um, is being, uh, at least uh, there was this news item that Oracle and the partners uh, have taken uh, the lead in uh, securing uh, the majority ownership in TikTok. The issue is still not yet settled, but that, uh, Plus the fact that uh, you know WeChat may be banned or may not be uh, downloadable. What do you make out of all these issues? Where do you think uh, we are headed? Uh, yeah. So this is uh, lots of uh, <laughs> things are involved, right? Yeah. So I think this is an experimentation of Chinese tech companies going global. So right. for the 
brands for the traditional products, globalization was not very successful. But the tech companies are more successful, led by the first wave was this game companies. Now it's this content companies. So yeah, I think when Chinese companies going global, they need to follow the local kind of uh, games, right? The local rules, their concern of those things, yeah. So yeah, and uh, there are lots of uh, concerns that uh, I think are under investigation. <laughs> yeah, so. So do you think this would give us some, uh, put a damper on the research because you're getting data from China now freely. Will that, uh, is that still available or, uh, or, or, or can we as researchers do experiments to learn more about this? Or do you think this will also be um, constrained now going forward? I think it's going to have a marginal change, but still it's going to be going forward. Uh, okay. All the companies are trying to uh, comply with all those uh, rules. So, for example, if you want to research in, at Alibaba, you have to follow strict rules, like where to use the computer, where to download the data. But I think those companies, they have the incentive to develop more, better, and algorithms. So they need scientists, researchers to help them. Right. And because you sit in a very uh, uh, interesting position, because you are... Uh, you're the associate dean of a very major business school in China, but based in the U.S., and you fostered a lot of collaboration between them. Um, where do you, how do you think the MBA education and the business education, uh, where do you see that is going in China now? Because being the associate dean, you're really having the bird's eye view of what's happening over there. Right. Uh, in China, uh, there are... The general MBA, uh, is a little, the market is a little bit mature. <laughs> okay. A little bit mature. Uh, but Chinese people, they love studying. So okay. they're not going to get only one MBA. They're going to get two EMBAs and a three is, uh, uh, PhD administration. <laughs> so their learning is like a lifelong. So basically That's the market nice. can, can be renewed. But the new trend here is that the finance is becoming very, the FinTech. Uh, like a globalization of RMB and also this uh, fintech, blockchain, all those uh, smart contracts. There are lots of things going on in China. So there are two, several hot areas. One is this, uh, uh, this uh, finance, uh, fintech. The other one is this uh, manufacturing, smart manufacturing. And that's also a very hot area in China. Um, so, uh, so there is a demand. Yeah, there's a lot of demand for education. That's what you're trying to say. And that's likely to continue for the rest of the future, right? That's and, <laughs> and you, since you are based in, you're still based in New York, there's a lot of uh, cross programs you do. I know that I've been following you. There's a lot of interesting programs you put out, uh, executive education and so on. How is the market for that? Now with the pandemic, I'm sure that the market has come down a bit. Um, so, where do you see that going? <laughs> yeah, so we have uh, multiple programs being designed and marketed. One program uh -huh. was hit by this uh, coronavirus because the design was how to sell to China without going to China. <laughs> right. So that was a uh, high demand on that. But then because of the tax kind of uh, the, 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 the trade war, uh, the, the trade uh, negotiation between these two countries, and also directly hit by this uh, many U.S. companies, they are 
the budget was cut. So we, we were the program, I think. But then there were general, general lots of new kind of uh, demand for education. Um, That's good to know, yeah. That's good to know. Now, so far we've talked a lot about your research, uh, your uh, views of chi Chinese consumers in the future, uh, but let's better understand you or other side. Uh, you know, what else does Bahong San do, right? Uh, which is like, what do you like to do in your spare time? What kind of books do you read? So maybe give us a little bit of peek or insights into that. Right, yeah. So I'm a tourist, right? <laughs> a tourist right. likes eating. So, <laughs> so in New York, you're a foodie. Yeah, lots of good okay. restaurants. I follow the chef, right. uh, the new recipes, especially the from different countries. So you, there's, yeah. And then there are lots of events, uh, cultural events, and lots of events, and lots of famous people passing by New York. You just sign up and show up and meet with new people, talk to strangers, find out what they're doing. Um, that's all come to a halt now uh, uh, due to COVID-19. So hopefully you, you'll find some other ways to engage yourself, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so what, what kind of books do you read? What are some of the other things that you do to keep yourself uh, away from research but still busy? Right. So, yeah, I, I really like, I follow lots of tech kind of uh, people a lot like Elon Musk, all his uh, kind of a biography, and fascinated by uh, what he has been doing and uh, the breakthrough, despite everything. Is, uh, but he's giving us encouraging uh, uh, news and information. And uh, yeah, I think uh, you and I, and we have, uh, both have kids and raising and nurturing another human being. Is, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. You do so many things so well. Now, you know, this program is viewed and... Uh, listened to by different stakeholders ranging from students to former students to entrepreneurs to executives in the retail industry and other industries. Uh, what are some of the things that you would uh, suggest to them in terms of your final message? Where do you see uh, that future is headed post-COVID world? And what are some of the ways in which uh, you think any of these stakeholders could be engaging themselves uh, to prepare themselves for the future. Right. Uh, one thing uh, I'll be always thinking is that technology put customer in the center. And uh, so customer centric, right? In order to understand the consumers, we need to understand their needs, wants, and decision process. So this means that no matter what tools, algorithms, or machine learning we borrow, we need to let the machine recognize that people are smart and the customers are smart. <laughs> so basically... Yeah. Everything we've been studying, all the marketing literature, consumer insights should be waved into the algorithms uh, when companies make uh, that kind of decisions. Now, in terms of uh, innovations, I think innovation is popping up from many, many different countries. China, India, South Africa, Israel, probably leapfrog the U.S. because they have more startups. So there are many things I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, number one is that we discussed the social commerce. Uh, right is that how to use social mobile to engage consumers. And China is very innovative in social fishing. So they use mm -hmm. asset and they try to get like a $100 ROI, <laughs> all because yeah. they reach other consumers. And I strongly think that this uh, internet of things will be next wave of things. China has lots of pop-ups 
that wearables, the cars, the stores, the technology is putting more and more data online. And how do we engage machine learning AI to better serve consumers? And uh, another way, another thing I'm keeping an eye, but I think it's going to dramatically change the way we do marketing will be the smart contract. And uh, lots of data privacy issue, the way we distribute coupon, we do advertising will be totally changed. And we need another lots of researchers and entrepreneurs to make that happen and to research what's going to happen, what, what, was go, what is going on. Oh, that's fascinating. That's a lot to keep in mind. So you mentioned innovation, you know, you mentioned putting customer at the center of our thinking, you mentioned social, you mentioned the new technologies such as IoT and keeping an our, our eyes and ears open and trying to, you know, come up with some social contracts which is also something that you've suggested. So that's a lot for people to digest. So on that note, I wanted to uh, thank you again for wonderful insights that you've provided, Bahong. And uh, thank you very much for your time too. And wish you all the very best in your continuing research and the future developments that you are involved in. And um, hopefully, um, you know, I'll continue to learn from you as I've always learned uh, going forward. Thank you very much.